We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Fay. With me, as always, my guy, Jack Manuel. Jack, what's up? Joe Harris is in Australia, and I'm on the other side of the bloody world. <laughs> Jack, tell the fans where you are right now. Obviously, he's been traveling across the world all summer. I'm where we started the Brooklyn Buzz, where I was. I started the, where I was when we started the Brooklyn Buzz in uh, sunny London. It's um, not sunny right now because it is 12:30 a.m., um, but it is quite warm. It's a nice, sort of cool day. Look at this hustle. This guy's up at 1230 at night recording Nets podcast for you guys. But What's as up? always, if, if you want to check out this show or the previous shows, we got a Knicks and Nets ones coming out very soon. iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, OTG Basketball.com, Google Play, Dash Radio, YouTube, and NetsRepublic.com. But Jack, I'm going to pass it over to you. Now, Nick, the biggest news, obviously, of, of recent times when it comes to the Brooklyn Nets is uh, that Joseph Sy is officially the Brooklyn Nets owner acquiring the Brooklyn Nets as well as Barclays Center for a cool $3.5 billy. Um, what were your thoughts on, on seeing this deal uh, be finalized? Was the number a surprise? Um, were you surprised that he got Barclays Center? Um, what were your thoughts on it overall? I just wish I had 3.5 bill. No, uh, um, you know, we knew this was kind of something that was going to happen when he became, you know, part owner, you know, when he had 49%, we knew that he was eventually going to buy the Nets, maybe a little quicker than some of us anticipated, but it made sense to get the Nets and Barclays Center because now you're kind of double dipping because you don't have to pay a renting fee to the stadium to have your games there or anything like that. So you're not sharing revenue. So very smart. We know Joseph Sy is a very smart guy. I think it's great for the franchise. Mikel obviously did some great things, bringing the Nets to Brooklyn. But now Joseph Sy can take them to that next level, especially with the Asian market. And we've talked about that in the past, how that could have a major impact with the Nets. 
future players and things along those lines. And money-wise, I think 3.5 bill sounds about right. I think in one of the recent episodes this summer, we kind of talked about the value of the Nets and where they stand. And obviously, they're ascending after last season. And then this offseason, having two of the biggest names in basketball, they're just on the rise. So just like this turned into a really good investment for Mikhail Prokhorov, this is going to probably turn into a really good investment for Joseph Tsai if he eventually sells a team at some point in his life. Yeah, I think Mikhail Prokhorov bought it for $1.7 billion, if I'm right, or, or something along those lines. Um, don't quote me on that, but he certainly made a, a, a massive um, a massive profit out of um, selling the team. And, you know, with Joseph Seiden, Nick, in, in that sort of sense, you, you touched on, you know, the obviously Asian opportunities and Kyrie Irving and his marketability over there, as well as Kevin Durant, two of the most marketable superstars going around. But... Um, Am I right in saying that this is the largest sale of a team? You know, obviously the, the Clippers and the Houston Rockets are the most recent ones, and now are, you know, the $2.1, $2.3 billion range. Um, did it surprise you? Because obviously the Houston Rockets are, they're not necessarily a large market team, but they have a, a solid following. And um, obviously the Nets are sort of like the perennially known as the little brother team in, in the massive market that is, uh, that is Brooklyn in New York. Was the number lofty to you at all? Or like you sort of said, was it right on the sort of money? Because it's a lot of money, $3.5 billion for any basketball team, let alone the Brooklyn Nets who aren't, you know, the Lakers, the the Knicks. It's it's still a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little surprised, I guess, in a sense. But ideally, you just think these prices are going to continue to go up. You know, they're just going to constantly keep ascending, especially, like I said, the Nets having progress. They look like the organization's in a really good spot. And the viewpoints from the media and different people around the league is the Nets are doing things right. So I think that helps. And then just being in Brooklyn, like they're in the city. And there is a possibility they're not going to like clearly jump the Knicks in terms of like have a bigger fan base. But they're going to probably be the better team for the next couple seasons at least. And that's the type of thing where, hey, there's a lot of money to be made here. And we're already seeing like ticket prices are taking a giant jump. Everything's going to start to take a giant jump with winning. And then also, like we've talked about, just having Kyrie and Kevin Durant, just two big names to your franchise, it's just going to boost the, the perspective of your team. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There is absolutely no doubt about that. And um, I have found the number that Procraft did buy it for. Um, it was $223 million, um, obviously. <laughs> uh, a bargain in, in, in today's day and age for, for a basketball team and made a cool $2.35 billion. So uh, about a thousand percent sort of profit on that. Um, I guess we'll touch on Mikhail Prokhorov in that sort of regard, Nick. Um, what is his legacy that he leaves uh, as a Brooklyn Nets owner? I mean, I think the one thing you think about is, you know, he brought the Nets to Brooklyn, you know, and then also he did have those uh, prediction or guarantee the Nets would win a championship in five years. So I think you think about the KG and Pierce trade, you know, he kind of forced Billy King a little bit to get into that. And that's something he wanted. He wanted to have the star in the names, especially, you know, the first couple seasons in Barclays. So I think he came with it, the idea like, hey, if I spend a lot of money, we're going to end up winning. But actually, you need to have a good organization, a good culture, good G GM, good coaching and things along those lines. So I think it was like a learning lesson for Mikel in a sense, in terms of the basketball world. But overall, I think you're, there's a lot of positives to still take away. 
Yeah, I, I think it is as well. And you know, there was a, a, a really nice article by Chris Mannix on on the the legacy that Mikhail Prokhorov has left, and there's some some good quotes on there. And I think one that sort of resonates and and, and relates to what you were saying, and this is from uh, Arena Pavlova, a, a high ranking Nets exec from 2010 to 2017, um, in saying that Prokhorov didn't really fully realize how the NBA actually worked. It was just at first, it was just throwing money at the problem, but you just can't throw money at it. And he did learn that. So, you know, like he was sort of saying, you know, he he didn't really have the NBA now, but then at the end of the day, he hired Sean Marks. I was going to say that's probably his maybe his biggest thing too. So, like you look at it, it's a it's a double edged legacy. You know, it's a complicated legacy. It's it's one where you know, despite the fact that yes, we made the the ridiculous trades and, you know, Billy King was probably heavily influenced by ownership to do that. You would much rather have an owner who is willing to go into the luxury tax to win that championship. You know, a yep. guy who's willing to, to pay the big bucks for that because there's a lot of teams out there, including teams that are within the championship window, i.e. what's Tillman Petita in Houston, um, maybe even some of the ownership in, in Milwaukee with uh, letting Malcolm Bodden go. They're not willing to go into the luxury tax. So I think that for Mikhail Prokhorov, he's putting his money where his mouth is. And you've got to respect that. You know, the guy's gone all in. And I think that there are negatives to his tenure. And, and you know, we can't discount that. But at the same time, you know, maybe it, it was sort of his background is like, you know, if you throw money at it, it's going to fix it. But at the end of the day, he learned the, the inner workings of how you build an organization within the NBA. And he put the best people in charge. Um, he was a key person, if not the guy, to hire Sean Marks. And, you know, if anything is uh, related to the net success of late, everyone, you know, bangs on Sean Marks. But you've got to give Mikhail Prokhorov some credit because he's the guy that hired the Kiwi mastermind. Yeah, and I mean, you know, shout out to Mikhail's team in helping him make that decision. But like you said, you know, he's not going to get the credit of the Nets, you know, win a championship or the next couple of years. But none of that happens without Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'll, I'll, th- I'll throw a few more quotes for you to react to in, in this one, sort of, Nick. Uh, and this is from uh, that GM, Billy King, former GM. I wish I had more one-on-one direct contact with him. I had a lot of respect for him. I just wish I had more direct conversations. He said that to me in our final meeting. In my past experience, when you can talk to your owner, you see their reaction, you hear their inflection. When you are dealing with him through somebody, you don't get that. You wonder what did it have to be pushed to get to go or what questions he asked to get to that point. That's the one thing I didn't get. And, you know, uh, I think that he he realized uh, the error to his ways. And um, obviously, Billy King was an unfortunate sort of um, person in the crossfire in that early tenure. Yeah, I think that just comes with, you know, having a Russian owner, obviously not being close to the United States. And then also, he had a lot of things go on in his life in terms of like politics, legal troubles, whatever it may be. And then obviously like US and Russia, there's just like a whole bunch of complications that just made the task of being an NBA owner a lot harder. And then obviously the Nets weren't his only business that he had. So he had other things to manage. So he was probably just spread a little too thin as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, and in that regard as well, Bobby Marks, you know, or, or part of the tenure uh, with Billy King too. Um, he said a downfall of his was that he didn't challenge you I think nowadays if you're the owner of a team and you're going to go out and sign a player, I want you to debate with me on the merits of the signing of a draft pick. He just wasn't around. He didn't get the full hands-on experience, the inner workings of how the basketball operations and the people worked. Yeah, I just feel like Bobby Marks always has something to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got the prior relationship with, with Chris Mannix anyway, so you've got to 
the, the the sources of it. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And obviously, he had direct contact with. He was part of the Nets organization, so he knows what he's talking about in that extent. And yeah, I get it. And that I think that goes back to the fact is like he didn't necessarily have an NBA background. Yeah, he ran teams in Russia and things like that. But the NBA is a different animal. And just like we said, he just didn't have necessarily probably the time or the resources to spend as much time in the United States that he needed to for the Nets to be as successful. Yeah, and, and in saying that, you know, relating to Sean Marks, uh, just a final sort of quote from Pavlova, uh, the way Sean Marks was hired was a very different process. I give Mikhail a lot of credit. He learned that you can't buy a championship. He interviewed all the candidates. He was there asking questions. The fact is that you don't see a lot of owners step back and acknowledge publicly that they made it a mistake. He decided to go a different way, build strategically, be smart and be patient. For a guy of his stature, that was very humble of him, and he should get a lot of credit for that. It's true. Usually when you're that successful, you have a hard time admitting if you've done something wrong or you want to blame somebody else in that situation. He took accountability. He made the next move. He learned from a mistake and signed Sean Marks, and now he's a GM, and the Nets are in a great position because he was able to uh, have some accountability and react to the situation the right way. I honestly can't think of it in today's NBA in terms of owners. Like, if we're looking at bad owners turn good, are there any of those, Nick? You know, uh, it's essentially there are good owners, there are okay owners, there are owners in the background, and there are bad owners. You know, you don't see James Dolan realize it, maybe to some extent these days, but then he continues to have gaffes by going out in public and making these dumb, dumb comments. You know, Robert Sarver in Phoenix, the, the other probably worst owner in, in the NBA right now, you know, isn't really learning anything because he's still wanting to be involved. He's wanting to be the be-all and end-all and not empowering the likes of James Jones and the guys in there. Whereas Mikhail Progrob is almost an outlier in this sense and going, look, this this tenure uh, of my ownership has not found success. I need to do something different. Um, and that requires a lot of guts and a lot of self-reflection. And, you know, it's bringing success already. And I think that despite the fact that you know, he might not be, he's obviously not going to be there if the Brooklyn Nets ever win a championship, but um, Mikhail Prokhorov can certainly count himself as a person who was a part of that process to what the Nets are building towards these days. A hundred percent. And obviously he did help give the Nets some pop, you know, having all that money and everything, like you said, willing to spend that money. And I thought of an opposite example of Mikhail would be like Michael Jordan. You know, obviously the Hornets have done the same thing year after year after year, and it just hasn't worked. And he hasn't reacted and been willing to be like, hey, we should tank and rebuild and kind of get some high draft picks and build this team the right way. Instead, they just go out in the last few seasons. They try to sign guys to retool the team, make them a little bit better. And then this offseason, when they had the opportunity to probably full on tank or, you know, invest in young guys and trade Kemba the previous season, they just go out and get Terry Rozier. So I think MJ would be an example of someone who's, using their ego a little bit too much and not reacting to the situation the right way. Yeah, uh, I think that's a, a really good point too. And I know that um, there'll be some plenty of gripes in an upcoming NBA outlet preview on the show. <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing. But um, Nick, we'll get to some um, win-loss projections that have been making the rounds. And um, I know, in fact, let's talk about my hot take article, my friend. Let's do some, some self-promotion for me. <laughs> Um, obviously included um, on OGDBasketball.com. The Hot Take Marathon is getting spicy, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I projected the Brooklyn Nets to land the third seed. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Nick? And, and after that, I guess we can touch on uh, what some other experts and probably more experts in, in terms of NBA basketball in general. Um, but what did you think of my uh, article 
and the sort of weight that I gave to the Buchanets and their chances for that third seed. I thought it was a great article, and I'm not just saying that because you're here. Uh, I thought, <laughs> yes, I thought it, <laughs> it was well thought out, and I like the way you, in some ways, discredit the other teams and pointed out their weaknesses that they have because some of them I feel like are getting a little bit overhyped, and there's no reason not to think the Nets going to be a third seed. Like I think the one team that everybody's going for that third seed has been the Celtics, but the Celtics have just as many questions as anybody else in you know the array of teams. I'll, I'll list the teams that you mentioned: the Celtics, the Raptors, the Pacers, the Magic, the Pistons, the Heat. You know the Celtics have their issues. They don't necessarily have a true starting center on that team. You know Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown still have to make a jump. What are we going to get from Gordon Hayward? And you know if you want a more in-depth look at the Celtics, we just recorded it with Gus and did a Nets for a Celtics preview. But and then you look at the uh, the other teams on the list. You got the Raptors, obviously losing Kawhi Leonard, arguably the best player in the NBA. The Pacers without Oladipo for a majority of the season. Orlando, who didn't really get that much better, their bank on Markel Fultz. Pistons, I don't really see a case for them because they relied so much on Blake Griffin, and he kind of gave it out at the end of the year because he had so much uh, on his back the entire season. And then Miami Heat, Jimmy Butler is great, but he doesn't boost him up to a three seed. So I think the reasoning is there for the Nets, not only because they signed Kyrie, but it's also the other moves they made. You know, bringing in Torian Prince, bringing in DeAndre Jordan, Garrett Temple, David Nwaba, and now the other young guys in the team like Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, Rodion's Cruz. These guys are going to take a jump this season. So I honestly, I didn't think it was even that spicy of a take because I don't know, by the end of the day, that might be my final prediction for the season as well, that the Nets will end up with a third seed. I expect three or four from them. Yeah, I expect three to six. Um, I think six is the lowest. You know, I, I said early on when, you know, Nets was posting the articles around Kevin Pelton's projections. Uh, I, I think that the, what I was sort of trying to outline was that a lot of teams legitimately can make, you can make a claim for any of these sort of teams to have, you know, a case for that third seed. But the weaknesses that the Nets have are probably much lesser than the likes of a lot of teams that I, I listed. You know, the Boston Celtics, I'm really worried about their defense. You know, you can attack Kemba Walker and Enos Kanta in the pick and roll consistently on a not, and funnily enough, that's what I think that the Brooklyn Nets should do and what do they run probably more than any other play? The pick and roll. And Kyrie Irving, DeAndre Jordan, Kyrie Irving, and Jared Allen, the pick and roll. It's going to be a pretty nicely run play against, you know, a guy like Kemba Walker who lacks some size and a guy like Enos Kanter who has played probably 10 good games of defense in, in his career. And most of them were in Portland as well. So I think that, you know, you bank on what are the strengths and what are the weaknesses of all these teams and how do those sort of balance each other out. Yes, the Nets probably don't have as high of a ceiling because of, you know, Jason Tatum's going to make this big jump. Jalen Brown could make this big jump. But we've also got a guy like Karis LeVert who could make a jump and maybe not as large a jump as a Jason Tatum or a Jalen Brown, but he's certainly going to be around the wings. Uh, and like you sort of mentioned, all the other acquisitions just, it, it sort of fits relatively well. And it seems like people are sleeping on the Brooklyn Nets, especially the national pundits. And, you know, I'm not one to, to speak up the Brooklyn Nets very highly because I don't want to jinx them. But um, I felt like I had to put this out there, despite the fact that, you know, I I believe it. I don't believe it to in my fullest heart of hearts, uh, but I certainly think that we are, you know, maybe the best, if not the second or third best candidate at the very least to get that third seed. Uh, because uh, unless you know anything disastrous happens in Milwaukee and Philadelphia, those top two seeds are locked up. But you know, the Brooklyn Nets have you know a lot of ingredients that could get them that third seed, and you know they could be a really good regular season team if Kyrie Irving stays healthy. And I think that's the main thing. It's with all these teams. You know, I could have written just one word. Who's the healthiest? 
who has their star players playing the most. Is Blake Griffin going to play 70, 75 games? Detroit are going to have a decent chance. Is Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown going to play 75 games? They're going to have a pretty good chance. How many games is Pascal Siakam going to play? Um, how many games is Kyle Lowry going to play? I, I think at the end of the day, the cases can be made for any of these teams. And I'd be surprised if we don't have some of our other riders jumping on board uh, with these sort of takes. But um, the Brooklyn Nets certainly have a decent shot. And one thing that you brought up I think is crucial too is health. Like every team is going to deal with injuries. And I think the Nets can deal with injuries almost better than all these teams because they have some really good depth. And you mentioned, you know, team uh, media pundits uh, sleeping on the Nets. And I think a lot of it is just like, Kyrie Irving is viewed in such a negative light these days because of what happened in Boston last season. Like he easily could bounce back this year in terms of off the court and have great chemistry with his new teammates and then put up similar numbers we saw last year and maybe even be a little bit better. So I think there's just a lot of things that it's just like carrying over from what happened in the offseason instead of the actual on the court stuff. Yeah, I think that's that's really true. And um, I guess we'll get to in general the sort of projections uh, from a lot of other sort of national pundits, Nick. And, you know, some are projecting the Nets to finish, you know, as low as eighth in the standings and that they are going to regress to the means to quote Kevin Pelton. Um, what are your thoughts Which, like, on- I don't even understand that statement, regress to the mean. Like, this is an old team. Like, the, a lot of the players on this team are going to get better. Like, like we have not seen the best basketball probably from Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, you know, maybe Joe Harris. Um, Jared Allen, we haven't seen the best basketball. Rodion's, we haven't seen the best basketball. Torian Prince, like there's so many guys in this team, it doesn't really make sense for them to be worse. I think that, and this is from, you know, Ned Staley sort of collating a lot of the information from a lot of different um, outlets in, in the sense that, you know, none of the outlets essentially have the, the Nets really making a jump at all, except for Bleacher Report by one win. And their, <laughs> their, their sort of key indicator um, and one of their key reasons is, the difference between Kyrie Irving and D'Angelo Russell. And I remember before in, in free agency, uh, before it was even you know going to happen, I was skeptical about it too. But um, I, I still, there is still elements of skepticism with me. But, you know, I think that just knowing and, and looking at game film from Kyrie Irving, and obviously D'Angelo Russell isn't a finished product, but Kyrie Irving on his worst day is the, the second or third best point guard in the NBA. D'Angelo Russell might not ever reach that mark. And, I'm not sure. I'm just looking at the sort of wins, and in the the article that I that I wrote, I was like, "Look, Kyrie Irving versus D'Angelo Russell. You know, I think that's two extra wins. I think just if they play, D'Angelo Russell obviously is a lot healthier. Kyrie Irving has a lot of health concerns. I'm not taking that into consideration. If they play the same amount of games, Kyrie Irving is worth at least two wins by himself and his talent. Karis LeVert, you know, if he's healthy, and obviously that's another big if and another big knock on wood moment with your two best players. Um, if Karis LeVert is healthy, I think, and takes another jump, there's another three or four wins for you. Spencer Dimity, if he stays healthy, you know, DeAndre Jordan and Jared Allen, if they, if they get back, if Jared Allen takes a step forward, you know, Torian Prince, you know, takes a step forward, you know, these guys, you add those extra wins here and there just because of the banked improvement. I don't see why the Nets don't take at least the three. I would be surprised if the Nets win less than 45 games. That's my probably floor uh, mark. Uh, my ceiling mark would be, you know, obviously that third seed, which is probably around the 50-win mark. Yeah, I agree. I think you just look at it from 
would they be saying this about the Nets if they retained D'Angelo Russell and made all the other moves? You know, obviously excluding Kevin Durant. Like, if D'Lo came back, I think a lot of people would expect the Nets to continue their jump because they've jumped the last few seasons. You know what I mean? We've seen the win improvement. Obviously, you're not going to make an 8-10 to 10 win jump probably this year. It could happen, but it's not likely. And I think that's what's being undersold is the fact player development has been a main reason for the Nets to have such a success in such a short period of time. There's no reason not to expect guys to get better this offseason. Yeah, I mean, I'd be surprised. And obviously, there's going to be injuries along the way. And you, know, you can't project forward. We're in you know, late August and there's uh, preseason basketball still to come, training camp still to come, but, uh, but all the signs look good for the Nets to, to improve somewhat. And by one game, at the very least, thank you, Bleacher Report, for that one. But, <laughs> um, I just I think it's so funny. Like, how do you come up with 45 wins? I just, like, don't really understand. It's not like the East is substantially better or anything like that. If anything, teams have gotten weaker. Yeah, I think I I might have even mentioned that in my article too. I'm like, yes, like, you know, there is a, a real stranglehold up top, but that middle range from three to nine, you know, there is, it's very much up for grabs. The Celtics got worse as a team. You know, the Detroit Pistons maybe got a little bit better. I don't really see many world-changing moves there. Uh, Miami, maybe they got better because of the, the acquisition of a superstar in, in Jimmy Butler. And, I think the team that did improve the most on paper to me, and this is trying to see it objectively, is the Brooklyn Nets because, yes, obviously, and if you factor in Kevin Durant playing 10 to 15 regular season games, even at you know, 80%, 70% health, then there is another thing that I'm not, I haven't even factored into my article. I haven't even factored into any of the, the win projections. If you have Kevin Durant playing 10 to 15 games, that's another rotation player that can play wing basketball with one leg. You know, he is an absolute stud. Um, but I think we could we could finish with this one, Nick, and um, because we haven't really discussed it because we have been off for a little while. Um, Greg Steele at OTG Basketball.com as, as well, um, and I'm pretty sure this is probably your favorite article written by any writer <laughs> ever, is that Karis LeVert will be an all-star next season. Hi, I love you, Greg. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, obviously, new writer, great way to get on my good side, write something about Karis LeVert. But, um, you know, I look at it, and I think it's a real possibility. I'm not willing to lock it in. I think it's really tough to get two All-Stars in the All-Star game unless you're looking like you're going to be a 50-win team, which is a possibility. I think if we see a nice chemistry from Karis and Kyrie early on, I think it's a possibility. But again, there's just so many question marks about what's going to happen. Are they going to be able to find the groove? What type of role is Karras going to have offensively? If he if he comes out and he's like lights out defensively and he puts up similar numbers to last year, not maybe as high offensively in terms of points per game, I think it could happen. But still, I'm, I'm not willing to bank on Karras being an all-star this season. And that's probably the most negative thing you'll ever hear me say about Karras LeVert. I think it's probably the most negative thing you have ever said about Karis LeVert. Um, he was... I think it'll happen in the future, but I don't know this year. Like, he's still – like, there's just so many question marks about his role. Yeah, and, and I think that those questions will start to be answered as the as we see throughout the season. You know, if this hot take had been made in, you know, November or, or December and we had had a bank of work to look upon, you know, 10 to 20 games and we could sort of go – yeah, well, Karis LeVert is projected the way he is playing and, and the chemistry he has with, with Kyrie Irving, which we spoke about on previous episodes as well. You know, he's going to be an all-star. And obviously there is, you know, that sort of bank of talent, you know, out east, you know, that Karis LeVert is going to have a shot. He's in, a, he's in a contract year as well. He's going to be earning, you know, a decent payday if he stays healthy. 
Um, he was our best player in our in our postseason run as well. Um, and like you said, he has incredible defensive acumen and should only continue to grow on that end of the floor. So um, it's a big season. And um, I think in relation to that, Nick, I can't remember which podcast this was on, um, but I will end with it because it relates to Karis LeVert's. No, it was the glue guys. Karis LeVert's health is the biggest factor for the Nets' improvement next season. What do you think about that comment? Um, I think uh, just one touch on the Karis LeVert thing. I think Karis will be in the all-star conversation regardless. Like he would be maybe like the first guy to be replaced, you know, in there if there's an injury replacement. But onto that, I think anytime you're looking at a team and if their first or second best player is not healthy, they're not going to be good. They're not going to improve. So I think it's not as much about Karis LeVert. I think it's just about having the role of being that first or second best player on a team. Yeah, I think that in terms of health, I think it's the most important indicator to how good of a season you have. And and we we love the the Brooklyn Nets training stuff, but you know this is you know it, the sport itself is is so unpredictable and so many crazy things can happen. Um, and you know, Carousel, you know, despite the fact that he has an, an, an immense talent, you know, he was projected as you know a, a flyer when the Nets drafted him because of you know, the injury history that he has had in the past. And he's had some freak injuries along the way as an NBA player. So um, I think that, you know, DMs at Russell last season was like, I want my goal to be to play 82 games. I think Carlos Levert should have a similar goal for next season. And if that is the case, you know, he will be in the All-Star conversation. The Nets will be on their, on their way to some, some decent improvement because, you know, I think that not just Carlos Levert's health, I think Kyrie Irving's health. Um, yep. You know, yes, I think, um, I think, you know, Carlos Levert is going to be a, a massive indicator, but, you know, the Nets will go as far as Kyrie Irving will take it because he is a superstar. He is the fulcrum to this team. Um, and if, yes, Kyrie Irving is injured, then, yes, you can have Spencer Dinwiddie slot in nicely. Um, and we've seen that in the past, you know, when D'Angelo Russell has been out too. So maybe the fact that Spencer Dinwiddie is a pure point guard or a pure point guard that can replace Kyrie Irving, Karis LeVert's sort of um, tangible skills and defensive acumen on both ends of the floor are harder to replace. I get that, but Kyrie Irving is still, you know, the wizard and the the one, the number one guy in this Brooklyn Nets team. But um, health is going to be the biggest factor for for Nets improvement and for their Nets uh, win loss total, no matter what. Yeah, and I think that just goes for any team, like staying healthy. And I think that's where depth comes in because you don't necessarily have to play guys extraordinary minutes where they're more likely to get hurt. And hey, Kyrie needs a night off. We got Spencer. We can throw him out there, and he can play the full slate. Yep. Um, and Nick, now we've seen. We'll finish off with a bit more business-related Nets news that uh, David Levy, who uh, left the presidency of Turner Media in March, is apparently a serious candidate to replace uh, Brett Yomark as the CEO of the Nets, as reported by Woj. Uh, do you have uh, any thoughts on uh, Bet- Brett Yomark as uh, being a, a Nets executive? Uh, I did have a Nets fan reach out to me just to mention how uh, hard he thought Brett Yomark worked. So shout-out to... Uh, Username on Twitter, Chaos Levert. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, username. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Yomark obviously played a big part, too, of helping the Nets come to Brooklyn. So we don't see as much about the business side of the Nets. We do see things occasionally when it comes to, like, big moves like that. And obviously, if the guy coming over was the president of Turner Sports, you know, that's a pretty uh, big accomplishment there. So you feel confident about that. But um, honestly, we mostly just care about the basketball side. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, at the end of the day, you know, how is, you know, Levy going to fit alongside Joseph Sy? You know, uh, what is the vision for the franchise going forward? How can Levy contribute to that? You know, he has plenty of, you know, experience within the, the Turner media, which obviously includes TBS, TNT, 
you know, all those sort of networks as well. Um, incredibly successful guy. Um, so at the end of the day, you know, can he, you know, bridge the gap? And obviously with the Nets having, you know, so many national TV games next season, does David Levy bring some sort of, you know, experience there that can sort of allow the Nets, you know, to market themselves that little bit more in a more positive sort of way? Um, I think that at the end of the day, you know, the, the decision will be made, um, the behind the scenes, and, and we will report it. But, you know, I think that, uh, our expertise lies uh, a lot more in, in reporting on what happens on the court and, and the players and the coaches. Yeah, and that in really a lot of the business side of basketball is behind closed doors. They don't really like broadcast that or showcase that as much. Obviously, I think the most important thing is that there's a balance where the business side isn't interfering with the basketball side. And that's something you do see when an owner wants to get maybe a little bit money happy and they want to get players to bring in money instead of necessarily winning games. I don't think that's going to be the case, but obviously it's always something you have to think about. Yeah, definitely. Um, but you know, it was good to, to chat some Nets news. I, I've still got plenty of topics up my sleeve, so don't worry about that, Nets fans and Buzz fans. Um, we'll be chatting some more uh, Brooklyn Nets news in, in upcoming buzzes. You know, the, the division stuff is, is winding down. The preview the overall preview for the outlet and the player previews will be coming very soon. So there'll be plenty of buzz content coming at you. Yeah, we took a little bit of a break. Obviously, you know, August isn't the hottest month in terms of basketball news, but still plenty of content out there. And like Jack said, we'll be starting to cook things up in September. As always, appreciate everybody listening. Check us out, iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, Google Play, Dash Radio, YouTube, and NetsRepublic.com. Also, make sure you head to Design Tree slash Off the Glass. Use a discount code as OTG5, and you'll get $5 off any OTG t-shirt. Money. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.